18 of Shaylin on Batman. Today is our special great and is a, it's a great honor and a special privilege to welcome Shaylin on Batman, a man who is his ear to the ground when it comes to the DCCU, Batman versus Superman, Suicide Squad, all that stuff, all that crazy stuff. Special guest isn't an angry movie blogger that will be seeing the new Fantastic Four movie. Don't don't worry about that, Kyle. I know that was a big big concern for you. Thank goodness. <laughs> Before writing screenplays, our special guest was a media specialist and campaign ad writer. He also has written screenplays from Ghosts of Alcatraz, a horror script. Well, that was your horror script, right? Or is that Locker 54? Locker 54. Locker yeah, 54, sure. Yeah. Okay, I want to make sure I had that right. And then he, he also wrote a romantic comedy called Collecting Strays. When he is not busy writing fresh screenplays, our guest is a script doctor for a few Hollywood screenplays and gives him a nice polish. While our special guest isn't only known for that, you can see some of his writings at The Hollywood Reporter, Slate, Walk Culture, BatmanOnFilm.com. You can also listen to him and others on the Batman on Film podcast and Modern Myth Media that I listen to all the time. His everyday job, though, isn't just all that. He now currently works for Forbes magazine, and you can see that on real estate. You can read that on real estate. And his recent Hobbit review had over 11,000 views in the first four hours. It is with our great pleasure to welcome to Shailen Up Batman, Forbes writer Mark Hughes. Thank you, Mark, for being here. Thank you. Thanks for Thank having you. me, guys. I appreciate it. Um, so before we get, Mark, will you take us on a journey where you're from, where did you attend high school, college, and talk about first getting into Batman on film and Forbes, if you would. Well, uh, I, I went to uh, uh, college in Arkansas, actually, and... Uh, I majored in political science and criminal justice. Uh, interestingly enough, I studied law enforcement and uh, uh, FBI seminars. And uh, I got into, I, I became a journalist about 15 years ago, uh, roughly 15 years ago. And I did uh, news coverage, uh, pretty broad based kind of uh, current event news coverage and stuff. Um, and I started working doing uh, PR and media relations and, and doing campaign commercials and stuff in D.C. Uh, on issue ads, basically, uh, working on marijuana policy reform, um, which my wife works. Uh, that's what she does. She's an attorney, and she drafts legislation to legalize uh, marijuana and for medical marijuana and yeah, things like that. So. Uh, and I worked uh, around that issue for for several years, and uh, I guess I, I, I first met Bill and Sean at Batman on Film back in like 2005, uh, and I had lived in New Orleans for 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 several years, and uh, I got into to Batman on Film, and it was a website that uh, for me as a Batman fan. You know, I've collected comic books my whole life, uh, uh, most of my life, that is. And uh, Batman was always my favorite character. I learned to read from Batman comics. My older brothers taught me to read with Batman comic books. And awesome. when you grow awesome. up in the rural South without, uh, there's not a whole lot going on. And I'm 45. 
uh, this year. So uh, in the 70s in the rural South, as a little kid, there was just not much going on, as you can imagine. So any little window out of that world into something larger and to kind of escape a lot of, of that uh, was really welcome. And it's my two of my really great loves as far as uh, hobbies and interests go are comics and film. And it, both of them were nurtured at that time. And uh, Batman being on TV and then the, just reading the comics just all the time really kind of drove my imagination as a kid and it stuck with me my entire life. Um, uh, Batman was was about believing in something bigger than yourself and uh, believing that things could get better and that there was there was more to life. You know, uh, that's the interesting thing to me about Batman as a kid that I just kind of intuitively knew that even though this was a man who was driven by childhood trauma and by loss, uh, and so much of his life was dedicated to his pursuits because of that, that it was also about making sure that other people knew that there was more to life than just their loss and, and, and the pain and the suffering that happened and transpired. Uh, and in Batman on Film, I found a community of people who shared that sentiment and who shared that, uh, that love of the character and who wanted to talk about it in a way different than what I saw happening in discussions of other fan message boards. So often it would just descend into to bickering and, and, and silliness. That silly and, hyperbole that you see nowadays with the fan, like the crazy fanatics. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and I liked that you could have Batman on film, you know, even there are people there that I had just intense disagreements and arguments with, uh, uh, but, and yet it was never, it was still always elevated in a step above it, it never descended into the childishness or into the simplistic perception of the world and of these things that I saw in a lot of other places. And it's not an indictment of all fandom. I'm just saying that element of fandom exists and it's loud mm -hmm. <laughs> and Definitely. it gets all the attention too much of the time. And uh, Batman on film was the first slide I saw that said, we need to police ourselves and we need to police our community and we need to make sure that we expect better of ourselves and of one another. That's awesome. awesome. That's awesome. Fantastic. So, like you said, you're like you you got to read the comics and stuff as a kid. How did you uh, how did you get? You said you lived in like you know out in the country and stuff. So, how did you actually get to the comics? Was it always like hand me downs from your brothers or? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We uh, we lived near an air force base, which at that time was one of the only things happening in the area. And okay. to give you an idea, the end. Our street was it was a dirt and gravel road, and at the end of our street. Uh, was a swamp, <laughs> and there were alligators. So just, Goodness. oh wow, just to give you a sense of like this was out at the time. Now nowadays, there's a couple of stoplights there. They have a pizza place nice. that's down the street. Uh, there's there's housing and stuff. It's not like what it was when I grew up. Uh, but there was an air force base, and a lot of the airmen out there. My father was was career military air force, and uh, my older siblings had friends at the air base and things, and so they would get comic books at school or from you know over at the air base or whatever, and then they yeah. bring them home, and wow, you know here it was, and, and then once I got hooked on it, uh, when I got older, then that was what I wanted. If it was my birthday, and you know that's take me to the store and let me buy some, a couple of comics. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that awesome. was, mm -hmm. made me happy. Yeah, that's how it is for me, too. I know Tom has a question for you to follow up with that first question. Yeah, uh, 
we want to get into a little more about like you and Batman. Like, uh, so like when Mark Hughes goes to bed at night and dreams Batman dreams, like what do you, what Batman do you see? <laughs> like what, what Batman is like Mark Hughes's Batman? You know what I mean? Well, uh, the Nolan films got really close to my Batman, uh, closer than I ever really expected I would see on film. Um, I'll say I don't, I never perceived Batman as realistic. I've always been conscious of that. Now, as a kid, I did. As a kid, I thought, you know, I could be Batman if I just exercise enough and I study enough, then I could do that and I could go out in the world and I could help people and stop bullies from hurting people that are smaller and, you know, preying on people that are weaker. And that aspect of it felt very possible to me. But it, by the time I was like 12 or 13, I knew that, of course, it's not realistic. It just pretends to be. And right. yeah. uh, that's, I like an element of realism in my Batman. Uh, I like a, an element of grounding, I should say. I like it to pretend that it's realistic, but I don't mind that it pushes the boundaries of it. And even the Nolan films, you know, they push those boundaries. There's, it's not realistic at all. There's nothing real. It's, it's really not realistic at all. Um, so the Batman I grew up with was the 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 Englehart Batman and the the awesome. you know the O'Neill and Adams Batman that was my Batman and uh, as a kid that I loved that and Batman was never you know Frank Miller famously said Batman was never funny to me uh, well I could watch the TV show and I took it seriously I mean as a kid it's like yeah this right. is, you know why are you laughing Dad this is really good. Uh, <laughs> But actually, you know, on some level, I knew that it was being a little bit funny, but I didn't mind that. You know, it was it was enough to see Batman in live action that I could appreciate it. Um, but for me, my Batman was always that 70s era Batman in the comics. And then I, in my teens, when Frank Miller's Dark Knight uh, Returns came out, uh, that really shook me to my core as a comic book fan. And I know... You know, that what Frank Miller did wasn't really, he didn't bring it, he didn't do something that hadn't been done before. He just did it so damn good. Oh, yeah. And right. he reminded everyone of, he, he took the essence of all of the great Batman stories of that, the, the, the late 60s and that 70s era, and he distilled it down into such a, a, a wonderful representation of it and then filtered it through this kind of noir and crime, urban crime 80s sentiment and perception uh, that, and it resonated so well. And that's Definitely. one thing that, you know, as much as I love Batman in the 70s, I can't say that it ever resonated with me culturally because right. I didn't really have much, you know, my culture was that the, the, the ditches out in front of our house have really tall weeds in them and there's yeah. you know, yeah. that there was no culture where military I was. life <laughs> right. yeah um so, uh, yeah wow. that was that was my that became and, and frank miller's batman very much merged with the batman of the 70s and and i had this really clear perception of what batman was and the nolan films really captured that for me oh yeah uh, I, I i'm not saying that there won't ever be another batman that comes that can do that and i i can say that it's close but it wasn't a hundred percent my batman i think if nolan had continued and had pushed things a little more and had made films that were that had a little bit more of the fantastical elements from the first the batman begins mm -hmm. uh but 
presented in the way that he presented it in The Dark Knight, you know, more detective stories, introducing the larger world, show Batman kind of having gained control of the criminal underworld and now starting to lose it because removing those, those controls that the mob represented have just unleashed complete chaos in the city. Then I think Nolan would have completely captured my Batman. Uh, awesome. But I'm very happy with what he did as it is. That's awesome. Yeah. That's pretty sweet. So, uh, so uh, you said that like you pursued criminal justice and stuff. Did Batman have anything to do with that in your life? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, very much. Uh, my my brothers went into the military, my o- older brothers. I have a lot of, I have nine siblings, and I have four brothers and five sisters. And my okay. two, the two older brothers who got me into comics and into, got me obsessed with Batman, uh, they love Batman as much as I do. And they went into the military. One went into the Marines, one went into the Coast Guard, and they continued to read comics and read Batman. And one of them is now uh, a police officer and in, in, on a SWAT team in uh, uh, Minneapolis. That's awesome. And uh, the other, they both live there. And uh, sorry for all the us. No, uh, you're, you're fine. <laughs> I didn't anticipate talking about uh, so much about my my own family. My oh, we'll life. get we'll I'm get into the Batman here in a second. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that my actual intention at the time, uh, I was very interested in law and in law enforcement, and I wanted to to go into the FBI, and that was a, a large part of my life was uh, a feeling that was instilled in me at a young age that uh, people who are bigger and stronger and have power have a responsibility to use it to help people weaker than themselves, not to abuse people weaker than themselves. And I resented, and at a very, even at a very young age, it was very crystal clear to me that that's kind of ultimately what Batman was all about, was that there are people who have power and they are using it to hurt other people, and that has to stop. And Batman is breaking the law but in service to restoring the rule of law. He seeks to make himself obsolete, uh, and he's the only superhero that I think does that. I think most of the others see themselves as a permanent part of society doing good. I think Batman's goal is to render himself completely unnecessary. Awesome. Uh, So I kind of wanted to do that, uh, and that is why, indeed, why I I went into criminal justice and uh, uh, studied it with such passion. And then political science ended up... I came to realize, yeah. uh, and to, since we're talking about Batman, to make a sort of Batman connection, I sort of realized the way Batman did at the end of The Dark Knight Returns that, you know, you can spend all your life fighting down here, but the supervillains aren't down here. The things that are wrong with this world, there are much bigger concerns than, you know, than that. And right. you have to fight against in political injustice and the yeah. system, the overarching system that creates the inequality and the abuses of power. That's awesome. That's such a great answer. Yeah, well, thank, you. Yeah. thank you so much. Okay, we'll get thank right you. we'll get right into it. Um, about a year ago, was it March or April last year? You had that awesome uh, interview with Zack Snyder, where he talked about you know, where I remember on the podcast you were talking about how Snyder, maybe he felt like at the end of the movie people misinterpreted that. So with yeah. that coming, with Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice coming. Do you think that Snyder's taking what fans had issues with at the end of that movie? Is he going to try to rectify those for the fans? Where do you see that coming? Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, 
I think that uh, I think two things are important to understand about. And I mean, I, I don't mean to, to suggest I can speak for Zack Snyder, but my impression as a fan uh, and having talked to him is that, first of all, that he disagrees with a lot of those criticisms. He thinks that there is a misunderstanding and he believes that Superman is as right for different interpretations as Batman is. Uh, I think he believes that uh, there is room for showing that Superman didn't just land on – he didn't land on Earth, wake up as a baby and go, killing's wrong. He, <laughs> right. uh, he, these things happened, and it's worth showing a progression of how he came to develop – if this is all just things that he assumed at a young age and just believed from then on, there's – well, how mature is that really? I mean how many right. of us can say, well – it, when I was 14, I believed all these things were wrong, and I still believe it by golly. Not many people can say that, you know. And the <laughs> exactly. ones who can, you don't want to, like, be alone with it for long, you know. <laughs> yep. uh, so true. So I think that's, I think he's, he approached it uh, from the standpoint that, you know, this is, this is a chance to tell, not just to show Superman's origin as here's how the alien came to Earth and learned to fly. It's here's how the alien came to Earth and learned how to fly and learned what his place was among us and learned how to be a champion and learned that we don't ne- – It's Earth doesn't necessarily need a savior. It needs a champion, and there's a difference between those two things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a difference between them, and that he decided – and I think even though – I've been vocal about my disagreement with the choice to have him watch his father die and allow his father to die. Right. I thought that was kind of like the questionable uh, message for his father to like his father's last message being sometimes keep yourself a secret and let people die. <laughs> I objected <laughs> right. a little to that. Yeah. But, but I also understand that what he was saying in that, and it took me a while watching the movie a few times to get that, that's the difference between being a savior and a champion. Superman has it in his power to fly at super speed around the world 24 hours a day and try to save everybody and try to feed everybody in Africa and stop every war and tell us everything we have to do. But then you come down to, why don't you just put the world in a bottle, Superman? You know, like Lex Luthor said, you can be Brainiac if that's what you want to do and control every aspect of our lives. Or you can fight the big battles that need to be fought and try to help us become better and be there to help us fight for ourselves. And I think that's the distinction Snyder was making, that you can't save everybody every time a tornado comes. You know, every time Superman decides to take a long lunch, he's technically committing mass murder, you could argue, (laughs) by not, you know. Right, yeah, exactly. So at some point you have to make those choices, and I think that's kind of what it was about. Even if I'm not sure that they imparted that necessarily the best way, so I I think Snyder is aware that fans had objections, and I think I don't think he's going to try to rectify what was done in Man of Steel because I think he knows what he was trying to do, and he doesn't think that 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 was wrong to attempt it. I think what he's going to do is he's going to try to its to show better, he's going to try to make it clearer what he tried to do. And he's going to try to show that, yes, of course there are ramifications for Superman's choices. Of course there is a ramification uh, for Superman, not just for the world, but for Superman and all of that mass destruction that happened. Of course there is going to be a, a huge impact from Superman's choice to break Zod's neck instead of 
putting his hand over his eyes. Yeah, you know, right. 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 Like, yeah. He's like, just put the put his hand over his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> he could have done it. Definitely. Yeah. There are, you know, the, these are issues that uh, that, and I I think that Zack Snyder knew telling the story he was telling that of course and that's a story we're going to have to tell next what happens right. if this you know so uh i think he's going to answer the critics in a way but i also i don't think he's i don't think he's focusing on that he's focusing right. on telling the story he needs to tell and he's going to make sure that this time when he tells the story that there's no confusion about what that story is trying to say i think the critics kind of just for some reason just have a hard on for a snyder because he yeah. directed 300, and I feel like his Watchmen movie is one of the most Epic. underrated Epic. comic book movies yeah. ever. Nobody, yeah. get, Everyone talks about the Dark Knight. Dark Knight's great. Everyone talks about the Avengers, but the Watchmen needs to be up there, too, in my opinion. Watchmen's yeah. a great adaptation. They had He had great, you know, uh, great performances, great action. You know, it just, it's just weird that the critics just, just for some reason, just want to, like, bash... Like you look on Rotten Tomatoes, it's like fifty four percent. It's just true. Bull crap. Yeah. Yep. Like, is Man of Steel perfect? No. no what movie is now? Right. Exactly. But it's just it's crazy. So the next question has to be then, who is the the Kevin Feige of the D DC Cinematic Universe? Do they need one? Is it Chuck Rogan? Is it Jeff Johns? Could you answer? Could you could you give a little feedback to that? Yeah, uh, I don't. DC and, and Warner Brothers. Does, Warner doesn't approach movies the way Marvel does. Uh, there is no, they, they don't have a a Godfather of the films at this point. They talked about you know uh, Chris Nolan Godfathering uh, the DCU and all that, uh, but they don't. That didn't happen, and they're not. They don't have that. Uh, what if you look at Warner Brothers' track record? The interesting thing to note is that besides not just within the superhero universe, look at how Warner approaches film projects in general. Uh, they seek out great filmmaking talent, either current – like people we already know are like, oh, you're a god, or people right. that are uh, up-and-comers. And they have a very keen eye for, for spotting that. And they, they see it, and they want to develop long-term – relationships with those people and they say we want to be in for example the chris nolan business we want to be in the ben affleck business we want you to make your projects here we want you to make a home here at warner brothers and they cultivate those relationships and as a studio they have projects and goals that they are out to achieve like with the development of the dcu for example but they aren't going to have somebody who sits in a chair and then just selects you know well today we want you to do this today we want you to do this they they have their plan they know what they're going to do we're going to make these movies these movies are going to fit together uh and now what they're going to do is look for the talent that they think can take those projects and 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 run with it and build something unique and with very clear artistic uh vision in it so, uh, and that's not, by the way, an indictment of the Marvel way. Uh, I'm a big fan. I love all of these movies, and right. I I hate that that fans. I mean, I understand people have preferences, and if if some folks don't like Marvel or some folks don't like DC, that's completely subjective. That's they're right. I don't mm -hmm. think they're wrong, but I think it's unfortunate if you can't enjoy all of these movies because we are in a time that is just astronomical. If you're a fan 
of this material if you're a fan of comics because we have it, the genre, the genre dominates the box office uh, we're getting fantastic movies and marvel's method look what marvel has done by having somebody in charge who says you know i'm going to uh, I, we want this, this, this. We're going to adapt this storyline. We're going to do it this way. We're going to do it in this order. It has worked out for them. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's one way to do it, and it's certainly a great way to do it. But Warner Brothers has a different approach, and that approach doesn't need somebody in charge like that. Now, having said that, is Zack Snyder turning into sort of the go-to guy to sit in and, and help directly come up with ideas and all that. Yes, he absolutely is. Uh, and I think that's a good thing because Zack Snyder, uh, I agree with what you were saying about Zack Snyder being a, a very underrated filmmaker and that he catches a lot of flack very unfairly. Uh, he's much better. He's a much better storyteller than anyone is giving him credit for being the notion that he's just a good visual storyteller is bunk. He is a great yeah, visual yeah. storyteller, but he's also a great storyteller. Uh, and Watchmen, I agree, oh Watchmen God. is one of the greatest superhero films and comic book adaptations of all time. Yeah. So uh, it's, it, just, it's just weird that, oh, because it didn't hit that billion dollar mark, this right, crazy yeah, exactly. mark. Oh, it's a failure. It's no, not, Watchmen yeah. was great. There's so many storylines and plot twists and everything going on. Like, it's just, it's a cinematic. And it's rated R. Amazing. It's yeah. walls to the walls exactly. from the moment it starts and it takes no prisoners. And yeah, did it not make $700 million at the box office? No, it was not a PG-13 right. rated comic book adaptation. It was oh. rated hard R. There was violence. There was sex. There was gore. There was sex. There, there was, was everything. everything. Yep. It's it was an, a fantastic movie, and why he gets the flag for it is just beyond me. Because look at it's I mean, the Guardians of the Gahul is that one of the greatest movies of all time? No, but it's not complete it's not dog shit. shit. Yeah. So that I think it's in, it. The thing when people complain about Watchmen to me, I always come back to the comic book was amazing. Alan Moore, you know, it. As a, as a comic book writer, is a genius. And I'm sorry, but the Watchmen film, the choice that Zack Snyder made with the squid yeah, <laughs> and what the squid was in the movie right. and the choice of you tie that back to what is the fear that you use of Dr. Manhattan, yeah. that was brilliant. Mm-hmm. And that was complete narratively now, when I when I having seen the film, when I read the comic, I'm like, how did Alan Moore miss that? Yeah, <laughs> right. It's crazy. How did he? I mean, it's unbelievable. It's stunning to me, mm-hmm. and that you know, and that's the, all, Zach Snyder got Watchmen. He understood it in a way that allowed him to see that that change had to happen, and to be brave enough to say, "I'm going to do it," even though I know fans are going to go nuts, and Alan Moore is going to s- insist that it's horrible, even though he's never seen it. Right. He he made the choice and he made the right choice and he knew it was the right choice and that's why he did it and it worked and it was it because was Snyder is a great storyteller. He's yeah. just not he's not worried about yeah, did it look great? But at the end of the day, he was able to create a story from beginning, middle to end that all was able to tie together. Even and if you didn't know the Watchmen was a comic, you didn't know it was a thing before, like you could watch that movie and grasp and understand all the characters. All the, the plot, themes. everything. Yeah, like, he's a great storyteller. And which which is great to bring up then my next question. I know there's been a lot of uh, questions on who's going to direct the next solo Batman movie. I, I And we're just going to toss out some names for you. Obviously, there's no one signed up for it yet. 
I mean, there's been some scuttlebutt over the internet that maybe Ben Affleck might direct it, might not. I mean, he's Batman, so will he have time to direct it? We don't know. But we're going to throw some names out. I mean, who would you like to see? Because, like, if it's not Affleck, I'd like to see Alfonso Cuaron take a chance at it. No, I mean, Peter Jackson's free. He's done with the Hobbit movies. Who could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I'll, I'll say first that uh, for the last, what, this is 2015. So for the last three years, I actually, uh, I named Ben Affleck three years ago as the man that should take over Batman uh, when the Chris Nolan films were done. And uh, I wrote an article on Forbes about that. We read that this morning, too. Yeah, we did. (laughs) He's the guy, you know. And and anyone listening to this, if you have not seen Gone Baby Gone, it's it's absolutely, it's one of the best films of the last decade. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm shocked that Ben Affleck didn't get a Best Director nomination for that. Uh, And I say that knowing that it would have been up against There Will Be Blood and that it was up against uh, No Country for Old Men. I would have given that Oscar to Ben Affleck. uh, And that's a hard choice between those three. But I would have given the Oscar to Gone Baby Gone at that time. Uh, Watch The Town. Watch Argo. Yeah, Argo, yeah. Argo, fuck yourself. (laughs) Yeah. That's, yeah. Ben Affleck could make a great he's a great director he can direct anything and, yeah definitely and the idea of seeing a Ben Affleck direct a Batman film is <laughs> definitely uh, something that I, I would love to see um, I think that he's the first name obviously that comes to mind uh, he's the person that I've, I've long said I suspected would have eventually uh, end up directing the film that said uh, we all know that schedules have to be met, and right. sometimes, you know, uh, Warner has kept that film. If you look at their announcements, they had specific years and dates mm-hmm. for the other films. And then with Batman, solo Batman, and with Man of Steel 2, they didn't commit to a specific date. They just said sometime in that same time frame, meaning by 2020, we would get a solo Batman movie. Uh so you can take that how you want it. Uh, you know, it, I think that they're clearly leaving open for negotiation and to try to figure out how they can make it work uh, for whoever it is that they do get for the film. Um, and I don't think I think that if if Ben Affleck doesn't do the film, then they certainly have very many uh, good options as well. Zack Snyder, I don't have any doubt that Zack Snyder would love to do a Batman film. Uh Considering, I'll I'll say uh, spoiler. I guess spoiler alert, or uh, I don't know how much you you guys care about spoilers. Oh, we uh, not at all. Go for it. Uh, you're gonna probably see Commissioner Yindel uh, Ooh, as the commissioner nice. in Gotham City. Um, wow. You're probably uh, that's my understanding. Anyway, uh, you're probably going to. Uh, you're probably going to see as much as Batman versus Superman is inspired by the Dark Knight Returns comic, that third issue of the Dark Knight Returns, yeah. issue number three. Don't I wouldn't be surprised if there was some influence taken from that for a solo Batman film, uh, as far as his the enemy he'll face and uh, the direction you know Batman coming back in a big way as he's going to in these films. Don't be surprised if he's not 
if he's a controversial figure in Gotham, uh, and if his his you know, we know that the Joker is going to be in uh, Suicide Squad. So Jared uh, Leto, Jared Leto, the, the Joker showing up as the the villain in a solo Batman film. It's kind of a bold move considering how everyone feels about Heath Ledger's fantastic performance. Right. But yeah, right. at the end of the day, if you you know, it's Batman versus Joker that that he has a long many years relationship. Uh, fighting would be a hell of a thing to see, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, yeah. That that hasn't been really interpreted well on the screen. Like, yes, Nicholson gives a great performance, and so does Ledger, but we're still missing that that these two guys have been duking it out for many for years. years yeah. We got it in yeah. Bat, the Batman '89. It was just you know, it was our first encounter there. Yeah, right. and then in the the Dark Knight, it was almost uh, Jonathan Nolan said, you know, I pictured him as the devil who just kind of appeared. That's how you just see right. him appear at the at the beginning of the movie, you know, like we still haven't gotten, I, I'm hoping for that interpretation with this next, because I'd love to see Ben Affleck and Leto go at it for a few films. Cause that would be great. <laughs> what, what would you like to see out of the Leto Affleck? If, if they do meet up some point and, you know, maybe they they'll will. pop up in the suicide squad or the solo Batman. What do you want to see out of that? Well, they'll meet up. They'll meet up. Uh, I, that's precisely what I want to see. I want to see uh, the Batman, a Batman who hates the Joker, who looks at the Joker, and he hates the Joker not just because of the Joker's crimes, but because every time he looks at the Joker, all he sees is his own failures. Failure, yeah. When he looks at the Joker, he sees every person that he that has died because he has not been able to stop the Joker uh, because he is unwilling to cross that line and kill the Joker. Uh, so a film that explores that relationship and that shows how much the Joker, the Joker lives for that moment. The Joker lives for the look in Batman's eyes because he knows Batman will never forget every person that he's killed that Batman couldn't save. And he knows Batman will never, he knows Batman won't cross that line. And that's why he pushes him to try to get him to, but he knows he's not going to, and that's the true joy the Joker takes is knowing right. that he represents something that the Batman, the one thing in the world Batman can't control and can't defeat, and that's not just not the Joker. It's Batman's own guilt. Yeah, the one to- thing Batman will never overcome, and that no tricks and nothing Batman does will ever be able to overcome. Um, and one name I want to throw out as far as the, the question about directing Dawn of the Planet of the Apes was Ooh, one of the best films yep. of this year. I agree. And so I compared good. It, I think it compares favorably to The Dark Knight. Uh, and I think that uh, among the directors that Warner Brothers has in mind, uh, Matt Reeves has to be in their mind to, to helm. Beside, he's obviously going to be very busy with the Planet of the Apes films, mm-hmm. and he's doing the next film, uh, the third film in that. But... He's got room to make other movies, too, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see his name crop up on uh, attached to some one of these DC projects at some point. And That'd if, be awesome. That would be awesome. If, well, one of if my favorite he actors ended up that. with a Batman film, then I, uh, I, you know, obviously Ben Affleck is the one that everybody is thinking about mm-hmm. for 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 a solo Batman movie, but uh, I put Matt Reeves high on my, my Batman director's list as well. Awesome. Uh, he's a name to watch uh, in terms of 
who we might see take one of these projects. His name's kind of been flying under the radar. I mean, if you look at Dawn of the Planet of the Apes and how great that movie is, it's uh, it translates perfectly to the DCCU, but why is his name... It's just weird. It's bizarre to me that he's been... His name's just so, like... Low-key. Low-key, yeah. like Eisenberg. Like, nobody knew, and, like, when he was cast, I love that cast of him, and then even Affleck is like, well, you know, Affleck's not going to do it. Everyone kind of wrote him off from being Batman, but it's like they're, it seems like the DC, the filmmakers and producers and everyone in charge there, we're going to just target the right people. If they're going to do it, they're going to do it. If not, we're going to find the right person to fill these roles, to direct these movies. We're not going to, it's almost like, okay, we're not going to do the exact same thing of the Marvel's doing. We're going to do our own thing, but we're not going to just like, okay, we're going to find someone who's maybe directed. Because that first Thor movie, to be frank, isn't my favorite in the Marvel. Right. I mean, Kenneth Branagh, yeah, is he a fine director? But it's not like if you were to throw the Dawn of the Planet of the Apes movie compared to that one, I'm going to take the Planet of the Apes movie because it's just a better directed movie. It seems like they're focusing on the best of the best, the cream of the crop. I like that about them. Yeah. yeah. Well, um... The next question's got to be that how involved, if you can't talk about it, you can't talk about it. We understand. How, how, how involved do you think Ben Affleck is with his interpretation of Batman and then the overall, if you can talk about the overall script? Because his, his guy, Chris Terrio from, the Ar from Argo, who won Best Screenplay, he, wrote, he rewrote the David Goyer um, story with Snyder. How, how involved do you think that he is? Do they look to, to him? Is what do you are they like? What do you think about this? Or is it is he involved to the day to day operate? What do you think? Uh, it's it's a very collaborative. I mean, Zack Snyder. On the one hand, I don't want to say anything to give the impression that Zack Snyder. I mean, Zach. This is Zack Snyder's movie. Mm -hmm. No one should think that uh, anyone but Zack Snyder is completely in charge of this film. Uh, Warner Brothers trusts him. Uh, he's really kind of got the he's got the reins to take this thing and go with it. Uh, ben Affleck uh, and Chris Terrio have a working relationship. Clearly, uh, I think that uh, it's not it's not a, a big secret to anyone that that Chris Terrio being involved in this film uh, had something to do with Ben Affleck being involved in this film. Uh, ben Affleck brought very very definite ideas and, uh, and, and clear interpretations and things that he wanted to do and pursue as Batman. And I think that's precisely why Warner Brothers went after him. They, they wanted him because he's not just an actor. He's a director. He's a writer. Uh, they know, I mean, he's an Oscar winning screenwriter. Mm -hmm. People forget that he won a, he won an Oscar for screenwriting. He won, you know, he's, uh, he, uh, he made the, be the, the best film, the film that won, you know, uh, Oscar for Best Picture. Uh, they know that and they see that he has an insight now when he's in front of the camera. He knows what it's like to be on the other side of that camera and he knows what's needed for as a, as a writer. And, you know, he's not just interpreting what's on the page. He understands the ideas, the thoughts that go into building that narrative and carrying it over from one film to another. And Warner's very much, they wanted that. You know, they approached him first as a director uh, originally to direct Justice League, and then they approached him as an actor to play Batman and possibly more. And that's, uh, 
he's on the set uh, in, in, in making this movie. He's the sort of person that he has that experience and that knowledge, and he it's a huge help. But uh, he also, he knows, you know, he's not going to step on toes. He's mm-hmm. not going to try to assert himself, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to, to kind of push back or anything. You hear there's a lot of actors that will, a lot of directors say that they don't want to work with certain actors or whatever. Ben Affleck is not the kind of performer that you'll ever hear a director say, I don't want to work with him. Right. You know? We haven't heard from Kyle. I know Kyle has a few questions. Kyle, what, yeah, go um, for it. Since we're already talking about uh, a bit of this movie, uh, do you have any personal wishes that you'd like to see fulfilled out of Batman vs. Superman as a project? Like, is there any maybe untapped resources that haven't been in a movie yet that you'd like to see featured in the film or anything of that sort? Yeah. Uh, one thing, and I think that in the Nolan films, he did a good job. Uh, we saw Batman doing some, you know, procedural work and we saw him doing some detective work. Uh, and, and I love that about the movies, but I, I do agree with fans who say we haven't seen, the the Batman the full Batman who is who's a veteran who's been doing this for so long that he kind of he's almost got a predictive quality to his behavior he knows he almost knows before someone does something what they're probably going to do mm-hmm. uh, you know the Batman in the Nolan films frankly got surprised a lot <laughs> right. uh, more than a few times and again I don't mean that as a knock on the films it's that it's a different kind of Batman and his experience level was very different than what fans of the comics see in Batman who's been who's a veteran crime fighter uh we haven't seen, and I don't want to see Bat God. I never, you know, I don't like the idea of, well, no. Batman is literally prepared for everything, and Batman can go toe to toe with a god from another planet. I don't want to see Batman no. with an alien bullet that's like, ha ha, now I can kill you and you're a god. <laughs> I don't want to see that. I get why it works in a Justice League story, but, you know, I, re- I prefer the solo Batman comics mm-hmm. to the Batman in space comics. <laughs> and I, but I trust, that I think that this film and Snyder's approach and the way they, what they did in man of steel gives me great confidence in how they can portray Batman alongside this Superman and in this world. So I think that there's an opportunity to push that boundary, uh, and to kind of, uh, show us a Batman who is kind of, you know, he's surrounded by these superhumans and yet he's going to surprise him and he's going to get the better of him sometimes because they underestimate him and they don't understand this guy's been doing this shit longer than any of you have. <laughs> right. And I, I, that's something that we haven't seen. And that's uh, the clip from, you know, Comic-Con when he turns that light on and he looks yeah. up at Superman. One of the things I love about it is that Batman the, the he turns that light on and Superman is staring at him and Batman is staring right back. Right. And I like that idea, that idea of Batman who he's not like, holy he's cow, not scared. He yeah. he's not like, holy shit. He's like, you know, I'm you're just why, another pot why are you in the hanging road, there in yeah. the air. Do you think I'm surprised? Do you think you're going to intimidate me by flying in the air and having red eyes? You know, let's right. get this over. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. That, oh, that, that's a clip. clip. 
that let me say real fast. I don't mean that as a as a diss to Superman. I know that Superman <laughs> get really angry. I, I'm just saying this is something in Batman that we haven't seen and that I would like to see. And some of it's an overconfidence because just ready you know, for it. Yeah, that idea that he is so convinced as a veteran that he's like, you know, I'm. Oh well, I got to put my suit on and go kick everybody's ass now. That <laughs> kind of a- attitude is going to lead to problems for him. He's mm-hmm. going to get in over. He's going to get. You know, he's going to come up against a wall and uh, that's going to happen, too. And he's going to find out, like, I'm the world's greatest detective. I'm not necessarily the world's greatest guy to fight invincible aliens, necessarily. (laughs) So uh, I look forward to seeing all of that. That 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 whatever that was, it like 50 seconds was cinematic as fuck. Yeah. And that leads to another great question. Uh, There is Scuttlebutt around December, a little bit earlier uh, in like November that we would see a teaser trailer attached with the Hobbit. Yeah. I didn't see that. I'm one of the people who said that we probably would see that. I was convinced. Uh, I'd, I'll say I had been told by, by uh, very multiple sources, very reliable sources that Warner brothers, uh, the, the teaser is done and it's been done uh, since late November uh, or early December. I think late November, the teaser's finished. They have the teaser ready, and the question was just when to release it. And it seemed that The Hobbit being, you know, clearly The Hobbit's going to reach an audience, a size of an audience worldwide that right. you're not going to get with Jupiter Ascending or In the Heart of the Sea, for example, no. or yeah. Mad Max. No. So the question was, what are they going to attach? The, you know, obviously The Hobbit, if they released it in December, and there was pressure on them. They knew that people were expecting something. They knew that Marvel had kind of really been hitting a lot of home runs. They, you know, Warner Brothers knew that people were thinking, now's the time, show us something, show us something. And it took a lot of restraint for them not to give in and release it. I wish kind of that they had as a fan. I'm selfish that way. (laughs) But I understand the choice to say we're going to hold it because The Hobbit's already going to make a billion freaking dollars. So putting Batman in front of it is almost redundant. You know, if you want to put Batman versus Superman somewhere, then Jupiter Ascending or a film that needs that thick can that would it that would benefit from that the push, the yeah. added buzz and from the whole because you can't talk about Batman versus Superman without Jupiter ascending or in the heart of the sea or whatever yeah. you know once that once they announce it's attached. Um, I was expecting a March release for it. Uh, once it didn't come in December, I thought March it's going to be March. Uh, I did hear that it's going to be uh, again for what it's worth because I also previously heard. Mm-hmm. They're, they're leaning towards the Hobbit it's probably going to be. I tried to explain to people that, you know, this is this is what I've heard. I'm not writing an article. Right. Uh, I'm not going to write a whole article saying it's guaranteed. I mentioned in an article that I heard it was coming soon and that it was done, it was coming, and it would probably be on the Hobbit. Uh, but I probably shouldn't have even said that because people took it as gospel, unfortunately, um, especially the, the story IMAX uh, put the stories, retweeted it or something, or quoted it or whatever. Well, and then that, that wasn't your fault. That was IMAX's yeah, fault. Yeah, that was IMAX's. Yeah. And the, well, they, they they came they out pro- with their own tweet. Thought I was. They probably did it in good faith. I think that they probably were aware that Warner's is talking about it, and that it looked like Warner was like the pressure and everything else. A lot of people were convinced that's when it was coming. Mm-hmm. I'll say that people. It, there were people I talked to in 
good positions who believed that right. that was going to happen. Uh, the choice was made not to do it, and it was probably made based on the fact that, uh, and that's why I think the, the report about it being Jupiter ascending, I thought it was going to be in the heart of the sea, I'll tell you honestly. Uh, at the point it didn't come out in December, March was seemed to be the right one. It was one year out, and it looked like in the heart of the sea was going to be the release they would do it with. But Jupiter ascending makes more sense. Uh, it's going to benefit the most from that attachment. How credible is that? Did you see that photo of the projectionlist.com or .org? <laughs> is that is that bullshit or? Yes, yes. That I is a bullshit. Every, I tried to tell everybody uh, that there's it's no truth. If that turned out if that turned out to be true, I. There's, I'm trying, to, <laughs> I'm trying to think of something to offer that would be absurd enough. I mean, <laughs> no, it's in, look at the font. You know, it's PowerPoint font. Uh, now, granted, is it possible that somebody got hold of the the laptop software or whatever that Warner Brothers is maybe Warner's going to announce this at a shareholders meeting and they're going to show people on a PowerPoint slide thing? You know, uh, I don't. But no, I don't believe so. And I think. I think it speaks to a big problem right now that, uh, oh, it's not a big problem, I guess. It's a cheesy problem, and uh, it, we should all know better by now. But the fans and the media and everybody is so out to have a scoop, and everybody is so out to have clicks, and everybody is so out to get a story and to hear something, and fans are so desperate for it. That frankly, fans, a lot of fans don't care if it's true. They just want to hear the rumor, just talk like it maybe is true because it'll make them feel good until something that is true comes right. around. So, some anonymous guy posts a cheesy looking PowerPoint slide on, an, on some freaking image hosting site, and everybody's <laughs> like, sounds legit, and just runs <laughs> stories about it and treats it seriously. And it's like, you know, guys, there are so many. If we do this every time somebody posts some shit online, and you know, it's going to be ridiculous. That feeds it. And why did they, why did somebody make that? Why did they do it? Because every time somebody does that shit, there's websites will post it, clickbait, and they and it's clickbait, you mm -hmm. know. And they think it's for fun. I don't know why people get fun out of that kind of thing, but they do. Yeah, they do. Sometimes they just think it's funny. Sometimes they do it ironically, and then they're like, "Holy shit, people really believe me," you know. But. <laughs> Ooh, you were waiting for more. I know you were. But that's going to do it for part one of this special edition of Shanley on Batman. The interview with the man himself, Forbes Magazine's own Mark Hughes. Look out for part two coming up next week, guys. Thanks a lot. I am the night. I am the night.